Everybody else, I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 20 in your Bibles. Revelation 20. We will be in Matthew 7 in just a few moments, but we're going to start with Revelation 20. All right, if you uh, do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to use one of those. And if you do not own a Bible of your own, please keep that Bible. That is a gift from us to you. We want to make sure anybody that ever visits Calvary has a Bible of their own. Would you bow with me in prayer one more time? We'll ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we have already had opportunity to praise you this morning. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for being a good God with a good plan. We thank you for including us in that. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, the victory over sin and death when he rose from the grave. We thank you for willingly sacrificing your son and we praise Jesus Christ also for his willingness to take the burdens and sins of the world upon his own shoulders so that we could have forgiveness. Also praise you for the Holy Spirit this day. As many people have already asked that the Holy Spirit would be involved in what we are doing when we gather around your word, we do thank you for the Trinity. And we thank you for what we have, how it gives us confidence in our journey in this world. Would you please clearly be involved in our time today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is often that we will come to a mystery novel book or that we will come to some kind of a crime movie and there will be a climax towards the end. There will be some drama involved in that. There There will be some words that will go something like this. Have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. What say you? We, the jury, find the defendant guilty as charged. Qualified uh, screenwriters and authors will use those words and they will build drama. And if they're doing a good job, they will bring you to the point where you're not exactly sure what's going to be said. Will they be found guilty even if we know they're innocent? Will they be found innocent even if they're guilty? And the drama that takes place oftentimes will pull us in. We're going to be looking at something in God's Word today that has that flavor to it. But there's a little bit of a difference. The difference is is that every man and woman that will eventually stand before God can know what the result is going to be. They can know what the answer is. How do you find the defendant? As we look in God's word today, we are going to find um, a lot of supporting scripture. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching. We're going to see what he said in several other places in his earthly ministry about a coming judgment. We're going to see what he says about an eternity for individuals who do not actually know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
want to encourage you to pay close attention today because what we're going to be talking about is not, as Jesus speaks in the closing of the Sermon on the Mount, this is not a statement for individuals that are outside the church. That's my words. The church hadn't been established yet when Christ preached it. But you'll see very clearly that the words that are being spoken were people that know, Jesus, that know the name of Jesus Christ. And even some individuals who had done good works in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet they will find themselves hearing the three worst words that any human being will ever hear. It's a bit somber today, but I think it'll be challenging for you. And so I want to ask you to listen very intently I want to ask you to pay attention to the words of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that you may never in this world stand in a court in a way like I just described. But what we'll see in God's word today is that every man and woman will hear eventually one of two phrases. One phrase that you might hear, many of you will hear, is the phrase, well done, enter in. And the three worst words that any human could ever hear are the words, depart from me. As Jesus Christ teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus Christ is the best teacher that's ever been on the face of this earth. He's the master teacher. There are so many wonderful things that we find him focusing on. But as I had opportunity to go over the entire Sermon on the Mount this morning, with this message and these three words in mind, you can connect the dots. You can see how everything that he is saying is leading up to this difficult message. That everyone stands in one of two categories. But the difference being we can have certainty of what we will hear. Now I want to just make a comment before I read from Revelation 20 on uh, three words that Jesus uses in our text today. And the words that he uses are the words on that day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're going to come to it in just a few minutes. The words on that day, when Jesus says that, he is referring to judgment day. Judgment day is not an unfamiliar phrase to us. Many people have heard that before. But unfortunately, there are some who do not understand that Judgment Day is a real day. That every human being will see. Judgment Day is when all mankind will stand by themselves, alone, before God. And I point that out because many people think you get to bring your family with you. You don't. You're by yourself, standing before God. Many people think you might get to march in with your church, your denomination. You do not. You, if you can hear my voice, will be standing one day before God all on your own. Judgment day is a real day where God will deliver final judgment on each person's life. We find support for this in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1 where it says, Behold, the day is coming like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them with neither root nor branch. This is before Christ was born. That was written. Pointing to a time after Christ would do his work on the cross. And I wanted us to start in Revelation chapter 20 because this gives us a clear picture. These are some familiar verses. But at the end of our time today, I'm going to ask you to consider, do you know the answer to a very important question? But then also, what connections do you have with people around you that might be able to teach you to talk more about this important question so you can encourage them? Starting in verse number 11 of Revelation Revelation 20, the Bible says, Then I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want us to notice that this warning that we find is not for people. This is not what you lead with with evangelism. What Jesus says here today is not for people who have never heard the name of Christ. This is for those people who know the name of Jesus and even when they would say they follow the name of Jesus. All right, all that to bring us to our text. If you're not, or go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We are coming to the close of the Sermon on the Mount. We have seen Jesus Christ already in this sermon, and he's had a theme of two in the past and also coming up. He has spoken of two roads. There's a wide road that leads to death. There's a narrow road that leads to eternal life. Jesus has spoken about two animals. He spoke about sheep, and he spoke about a wolf that's put on sheep's clothing to fool people, false teachers. He's going to, in the future, speak about two builders. Jesus is going to talk about two buildings, and he's going to talk about two foundations. And so the final test on that judgment day is not going to depend on what you think of yourself. That final test is not going to depend on what others think of you, but that final test is going to depend on what God thinks of you. You're in Matthew chapter 7. Go to look at verse number 21. We'll read 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then, uh, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're going to use uh, three divisions in this uh, message today. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this. It is the condition for entrance into the kingdom. What is the condition that Jesus Christ talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? The condition that must be met for entrance into the kingdom. Or better, how can you know for sure that you will spend eternity in heaven? I think that Jesus Christ shocks the crowd throughout this message. Many of you will remember a shocking statement that was at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And many of them were shocked because the scribes and Pharisees, man, they had a system and they followed that system and they were better than everybody else around them in their own eyes. And many people had bought that lie. And so how could we surpass them? Yet Jesus shocks the crowd by saying, your righteousness has to be more than theirs. And then Jesus Christ shocks the crowd here by telling them there are certain people who are not going to make it into heaven. And let me just point point out as a side note, this is the first time that Christ actually inserts himself here. Jesus says, I am the judge. That's the message. He will stand, Jesus Christ, this man on the mountainside that's preaching right now. He's going to be the one who is judge over all. So that's unique in the sermon, that Christ now injects himself into this. And he tells them, those who will not be going there, there is a condition for those who will get into heaven, and those who will not be going there are not necessarily those who will say, Lord, Lord. I want to point out a couple of uh, parables that Jesus Christ speaks. Because if you pay attention to the teaching of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, you will find him often pointing to this theme. Sometimes when Christ would speak in parables, it was, it was a little bit hidden, right? Do you remember when his followers, the disciples said, why do you speak in parables? And so we have to do a little bit of work sometimes. But if you will study it out, you will see what Jesus Christ is talking about is eternity. He's talking about every man or woman will spend eternity in one place, either a heaven or else a place called hell. In Matthew chapter 25, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to read a few verses from there, but I want to give you the information on the parable of the ten virgins the ten virgins that Jesus Christ speaks on. We do well to study these things in detail. We do well to know a little bit of the the culture of the day. But when Christ speaks about these ten virgins who are all invited to a wedding feast, that's the invitation. They had been asked to come. And then Jesus Christ talks about five of these who were prepared. They were prepared for the feast, the upcoming feast. They had filled their lamps with oil. And then Christ talks about five who were foolish and were not prepared. 
And in Matthew 25, verses 11, 12, and 13, after the door to the feast was shut, you can't get in the feast anymore, after the door was shut and five were left outside, it says this, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. If you can take that parable and understand the call for urgency that is there, Two things that come to my mind that we do not know the day of. Not one of us knows the day of our death. Likely most of us can name someone in every generation who has passed away at a young age, middle age, or old age. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. And so when Christ gives this parable about the ten virgins, he says, you have no idea when the door will be shut. No longer a chance to respond. You know, we have opportunities in our day to grow, to mature, to get better at something. Sometimes we learn by the difficulties, right? We'll go through a difficult experience, we'll learn from that, we'll not go down that road again. Sometimes we are just, some of us are hard-headed like me, and it takes time to learn those lessons. I received a phone call yesterday from my wife, and she knew I was having a relaxing afternoon, and she also knew of a job that needed to be done, and she also knew of the weather outside. So she gave me a call, and I was not planning on this, but she said, you know, Jeremy, it's an awfully nice day today. Maybe you'll want to put up the Christmas lights today, because it's a pretty nice day outside. And for some of you men who enjoy a lazy afternoon or your day off, you know what my thinking was. I wasn't in my plans, didn't have it scheduled. We haven't even seen Veterans Day yet, so maybe I can hold off on that. And for some of you husbands, you'll understand that oftentimes, and for some of you, every time your wife is right, right? Right, guys? Nod your heads now. Yes. Your wife is oftentimes right. Time will tell. If I regret not going out on the roof and putting up the Christmas lights when there was no snow on the roof, they're going to go up. I'm pretty sure of that. So I might be doing a Superman off the front porch as I'm trying to put them up with snow up there or trying to keep that ladder from not sliding out from its place, and I do not care for heights. And I might regret the fact that I did not take advantage of that one lovely sunny day or I had to get up somewhere high and do something, put some lights up. The biggest consequence of that is I might get cold, I might have to be extra careful with putting the lights up. I do not mean to simplify this door closing here because you need to understand when Jesus says this door is shut, This is not just life and death consequences. This is eternal life consequences. When you hear Jesus Christ calling, do not ignore. Do not shut him out. Do not say, I will do that someday. I've heard this before. 
I've heard individuals say, there was a day down the road when I was going to get serious about God. When I would get serious about Jesus Christ. And they're not getting serious about Him today. Jesus Christ says, there will come a day that you do not know where that door will shut. And I have already prayed this day that none of you would find yourself in that place. In that place where the door is shut, you no longer have opportunity to respond. So the condition is what we call this here. The condition that needs to be met for entrance into the kingdom is that you, is everybody listening to my voice? You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship comes with an understanding that you are a sinner and there is a punishment for your sin. You need forgiveness. And then we must ask for forgiveness based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It is not more difficult than that. You're a sinner. Christ died on the cross not for anything he did but for your sins because he loves you so that you could be forgiven but then you need to turn to him and ask for forgiveness based on his work. All the work needed was done by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the condition we face is is we simply need to accept. We trust Jesus as our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so when we find this statement, Lord, Lord, can you read the tone into these people that Jesus are talking about? There is a tone there. It's a tone of surprise. When they say, Lord, Lord, on judgment day, because they know that they are about to be cast into eternal hellfire, there is surprise in the tone of their voice as Jesus stands as judge. And so let's look in detail at verse number 22. We'll see the second of these divisions. The second division is the cry of those who are refused. The cry of those people who do not make it into heaven. Look, at, look again with me at verse number 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Let me talk let me, let me say something that if you were in charge as a human of heaven and hell and right and wrong, you probably would not set it up this way. But as I understand the gospel and the scriptures, let me lay this out for you. There are likely many who are going to be granted access to heaven and to eternal life who had very, very little accomplishment fruits that they produced, but they had simply placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That doesn't seem right. And when you get into someone that's debating this with you, that's arguing it out, they might say, are you telling me that someone who is a murderer could be in jail on death row? 
And they could be told this message about salvation and they could accept it and they get it into heaven? Hey, I'm not in charge. I'm not making it up. But having said that, I would mess it all up. And you would mess it all up. If you study long enough and if you observe yourself long enough, you will come to the realization that no matter how good a life you've lived, you don't deserve in. It is only by asking for forgiveness we throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ on this side of Judgment Day. Now, on the other hand, there will be countless men men and women, likely several that you know, who have a huge list of good works on their resume. Maybe they even have wings of hospitals named after them. Started programs. There's a countless list of individuals who have many good accomplishments, but without a personal relationship with Jesus, those will be counted for nothing. Let me give you one more teaching of Jesus Christ. It's in Luke chapter 13. We find um, another time when he gives this parallel, this point. In verses 25 through 28, Jesus says in Luke 13, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, can you see the similar teaching? The door's shut. The master got up in those days. He went, took the effort, and he closes the door, it says, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you have come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an incredible picture of the last day. I'm reminded with this knocking on the door, please let us in. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Noah. Remember that story? Where they were given the invitation to come into the ark, given the invitation to be saved, and they mocked Noah, and they laughed at him, and they refused. And then who was it that shut the door of the ark? It was God. And when the floods started to come, they would go and they would beat on the sides of that ark saying, let us in, now we believe you. Jesus Christ is saying, respond on this day. Let today be the day of your salvation. Who will be granted access into heaven? We're just finishing up our membership classes here at Calvary. And I'm so thankful for our staff here and the work and even our leadership as they had a part in this. But we have these guidebooks. Uh, We don't have any displayed right now. But as the guidebook was being put together with a few lessons that we want people to go through and our Constitution and a few other um, uh, articles that are in there, we were very intentional with this guidebook and that right in the beginning, right after a welcome letter, there's something called the start zone. And it says this, 
The first and most important thing that every person that attends Calvary Bible Church needs to know is how you can have peace with God and know without any doubt that you are going to heaven. And then we find John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 10.10 says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Of God. And so we see those who will not make it, those who will not get in, and their cry. And then Jesus, standing as judge, remember, he's preaching this on the mountainside, mainly his disciples of the audience, but there are thousands that are paying attention, that are listening, that want another free meal, I think. And the last area that we see, the last division, is the condemnation of those without Jesus. The condemnation of those without Jesus. Look at Matthew 7, 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And just one word that I want to highlight there, and that is the word knew, or the word know. What does that mean? If you know a little bit about God and even Jesus Christ, If you've studied some of his qualities, his attributes, you have come to see that Jesus Christ knows everything. So how can he say, I never knew you? This is not a reference to the omniscience of God. But instead, we find a good clue in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy in 2.19 where we get a key to what this means. And it says in 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. We're not going to take time to go into the Old Testament and the many references to an intimate relationship between a husband and wife. They might have gone through a ceremony. They might have gone through a betrothal period, but they were not married. They did not have that intimate relationship until they had had been together in the bed. What we are talking about here, this word know, it implies, Scripture implies a unique love relationship. There is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not just that you know the Sunday school stories. Or that you make it to church every once in a while. And if I can borrow from Jesus Christ, it's not even that you did good works in his name. Isn't it interesting to you in this this sermon that Jesus Christ doesn't denounce that people who are going to hell did marvelous works in his name? He never says that. He never says it wasn't real. He never says that was in the power of the devil. 
I don't want to read into it too much, but I think it's curious that there are these people who not only knew Jesus' name, but did marvelous works, did wonders in his name. Jesus doesn't say doesn't, that you didn't really do that. He just says, you don't have a relationship with me. We need to wake up and understand that this time in this world is but a matter of years and possibly days. And of this most important question that we must answer, Jesus Christ says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And so the saddest three words in the Bible are found in Matthew 7, 23, where it says, depart from me. And I can't say with absolute authority, but I think that those of us who know Jesus Christ will be present and will be hearing those words said to loved ones, said to those who maybe we were neighbors with or co-workers with. There will be a reason for many of us for Jesus to wipe away the final tears because we did not shed a tear for those who did not have Christ in this present world. Christianity is not a formality. It is a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what can you do? Very, very clear today. For everyone, you must be able to give an answer and hopefully the right answer to this question. What words will I hear from Jesus when he is judge on judgment day? Will you hear the words, well done, enter in? Or will you hear the words, depart from me? And then as I just mentioned, the second thing we can do is just love people enough. Love people enough to tell them about Jesus Christ. Some of you are very loving people, but you've bought the lie that we can't talk about religion. You've bought the lie that your neighbors and your co-workers don't really want that message. I talked with a friend of mine, and I'll close with this. I talked with a friend of mine this past week, and this friend of mine has been through extreme trials and sickness here in this present world. And as I talked to him, he shared with me about eight days ago, he shared with me that he has a neighbor that he was witnessing to, he was sharing Jesus with, pretty aggressively, to the point where that neighbor no longer wanted to see him. So when this guy would walk outside, the neighbor would kind of turn around and go the other way. He didn't want to have, any, he didn't want to have that conversation again. And so this guy's wife, who's oftentimes right, right guys? She said, why don't you back off a little bit on that and just pray for him? He witnessed this man, And then he takes the counsel of his wife and backs off because now he can't even talk to him. That man who is a godly man here in our town, wonderful Christian man, he got cancer. And it was to the point where the family had heard the words, it's a matter of months, if not weeks, that you have left to live. He's going to heaven, so the most important question is already asked and answered, right? 
He goes through this cancer, goes through this treatment. They have the, the family trip, the getting together, the hugging each other, loving on one another, saying goodbye. God chose to take that cancer away, to allow him to live. He's already going to heaven. You know, it's going to hurt his family if he's gone, but, you know, God chose to do that. With that neighbor who had the habit of turning around and going the opposite way when he saw him coming, that neighbor was watching this gentleman go through that sickness and that pain and that suffering, and he was not weeping at the idea that he was going to die. He was not terrified of facing whatever it is after this life is over, but he came through it with incredible peace and a wonderful testimony. And then that neighbor got cancer. And now when that man walks out in the yard, that neighbor does not turn around and go the other way. You know what that neighbor does now? Here's what my friend told me. He said, he does this. Come over here. I want to talk to you about this. Would a good and loving God allow someone, one of his children, to have cancer? to say his goodbyes to his family in order to bring along someone else to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I'm praying that way. I told him, I am praying that I get to see him saved here in this earth or maybe I'll see him up in heaven and I'll say, man, I knew your whole story and I've been praying for you. We have a God who is doing so much that we cannot see. Perhaps for you today, that involves the things that he has done throughout your life, throughout your story, to bring you to a place where even this day, you would say, I need salvation. I need forgiveness. God, I cast myself upon the mercies of your wonderful plan of salvation. Forgive me. Maybe today is the day. If I said a little bit ago and it resonated with you that you're putting something off, you're waiting, you've got some things you want to get checked off before you get serious about Jesus Christ and church and God and salvation, you do not know when that door will shut. Do not wait another day. And then also, you do not know when that one who the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, you do not know how long they have or that Jesus Christ won't come back today. You want to be a part of what God is doing here. This is the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that we see so far leads us to this. And so answer that question for yourself. What will Jesus say to you on the last day? And then what can you do to be a part of someone else, being able to give that answer? And when Christ asks them, they can say, oh, yes. I heard about your salvation from, and will they fill in the blank with your name? Because you love them like Jesus told us to love them. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look at the teaching of Jesus Christ, there's so much beauty, so much practicality So much to take in, and we have spent a long time going over the Sermon on the Mount. And as we come to this message today, 
that does not, it's not light. It's not simple. But yet, Lord, it is something that every one of us has to grapple with. Can I answer that question in a way where I will have assurance because Jesus Christ knows me? And then who can I affect for them to be able to have that assurance? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, as the piano plays, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you have a relationship with Him, I want you to think of a name, maybe three names, maybe in your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, someone that the Holy Spirit will lay on your heart right now and pray for them. If you're here today, and if you were to die today, or if Jesus Christ were to come back, and that opportunity was gone, and you don't know the answer to that question, I want to invite you right now to simply say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I trust in you for forgiveness. Please forgive me and make me your child.